Welcome to Warriors Off Court, the San Francisco Chronicles NBA podcast. I'm your host, Warriors beat writer Connor Letourneau, and today I'm joined by Golden State's TV play-by-play man, Bob Fitzgerald. Fitzgerald has been calling games for the Warriors for 26 years, and in that time, he's seen the gamut of what the NBA has to offer. On Friday morning, we sat down at Golden State's team hotel in Salt Lake City to discuss his relationship with new color commentator Kalina Azabuki, what the Warriors can get out of this transitional season, Marquise Chris's development, and some of Fitzgerald's favorite players to cover over the years. Bob, thanks for thanks so much for joining me. We're here at the team hotel in Utah um, on a overcast morning in, in, in Salt Lake City. Uh, Bob, how, how, how's this season treating you? You've, you've seen the ups, you've seen the downs of this franchise the past quarter century. Um, how, how are you feeling right now? You know, I, I still love everything about the NBA. So for me, you have a new building in Chase Center. And as a, a Bay Area guy, to think of having a, a concert venue, a basketball venue in downtown San Francisco, to me, is still extraordinary like the fact that it ever got built and yet we get to walk in there so new building is always different um new partner for me on tv with Kalen Azabuki and then Jim uh Jim Barnett still travels with us doing radio so I get the best of both worlds because I get to see Jim and work with a new guy in Kalena and we all travel together and we were hanging, hanging out in Chicago together as well on a recent road trip so you know that it's kind of jarring like oh new venue and a new partner and you're doing the telecast for the team I really look at dynasties that end, like the Lakers until this year, six straight lottery years, Michael Jordan and the Bulls went off a cliff, you know, Larry Bird and the Celtics, same type of thing. This Warrior incredible run of the six best years in NBA history and five straight trips to the finals, this will be a one-year kind of dip, and I'm excited for the rise and resurrection back up. So I'm looking at this year very long-range perspective on how do they identify future core pieces to add to Steph, Clay, Draymond, Looney, and, you know, Willie Cauley-Stein, Marquise Chris, Omari Spellman, which of those guys makes it? Glenn Robinson, Damian Lee, you know, is Kai Bowman a fit down the road? Like, so this year for me is different games, different growth of different players, and projecting, like, what do they look like (laughs) in the future? Because it's not going to be some six-year run to the bottom like the Lakers have had. I think they're going to be really good as soon as next season, and that gets me excited. Yeah, as you mentioned, obviously the Warriors, totally new roster, and you you have to deal with some change yourself with a new broadcasting partner. Obviously, you were with Jim for so long. You guys developed a really nice rapport. I'm sure when you spend that much time with a guy and you do as many broadcasts with someone, you learn their strengths, you learn their weaknesses, you learn their tendencies, and you can kind of play off each other. It's really... There's a rhythm and flow to it. And how has uh, building that with Kalina gone? Obviously, it's a work in progress, but how, how, how do you feel like that's gone so far? Yeah, I, I think it's been remarkably easy. You know, I called Kalina's games when he was with the Warriors. I remember when he was called up yeah. from, from then, you know, the D-League <laughs> yeah. type of thing. And I really liked him right as his introduction with the team and as a person. And so having him do the pre and post the last four years, we interact and see him quite a bit anyway. And he and Jim are, are close and have a great friendship. So that has made the transition so much easier. But Kalena for me is funny. We have a, he has a good sense of humor. We play off each other. He's into music and my youngest son is heavily into music. So we have a lot of dialogue and discussion on that. 
He's incredibly bright. I tease him as like maybe the only Kentucky player <laughs> that went back and got his degree. And um, he's a man of faith, too. So we have a lot of really interesting, deep discussions. And then I like how he views the game. And there's an enthusiasm that isn't manufactured from him that is very genuine on good plays. And he cringes when I cringe at, at some plays that are less than good. Um, so to me, I, I think it's been really fun. And, you know, game five will be different than game 25, game 45, game 55. You know, Jim and I had 22 years together. And, you know, I could read his thoughts and I knew all about his life and, and career. And so with Kalena, I'm still exploring some areas. And I think over, you know, the next several years, it'll just get better and better. Do you, obviously you're enjoying Kalena, but do you kind of miss Jim a little bit? He's just, I mean, I know he's still around on the road at times and, and he's, you still get to talk to him, but um, he, I, I just love picking his brain and talking about the good old days in the seventies and even sixties in the NBA. And um, do you ever miss those moments? Now, I don't miss him because he's around. I mean, right. he's, you know, he's on every road right. trip and, you know, and Jim and I, he's doing a radio thing for every home game too. Right. So I see Jim just as much as if we were sitting next to each other. And we talk basketball all the time. Uh, we talk about his granddaughter and his daughter, and we talk about my kids. And so um, now Jim's always going to be part of my life. And so, and, and still to this you know juncture is still a big part because of the proximity and the fact that we see him. So, you know, to me, um, you know, it hasn't been that much different because I'm just around him all the time. Yeah. And, and we were talking before we, we started recording a little bit about, some of the lowlights, obviously, you've you've seen it all. Uh, you, you this is your twenty sixth year yeah. with the with the Warriors, uh, so you remember all. You remember some of those lean years with Antoine Jameson and uh, even all the way back to Chris Webber, right? So, it just just for context sake, because I know Warriors fans, a lot of Warriors fans are looking at this season and they have the worst record in the NBA now. Just lost at home to a really bad Knicks team. And they're thinking, man, could it get any worse? Can you rem- maybe tell or tell a story that would remind them that it can get worse and that it has been worse? Well, you put it this way. <laughs> My first year of doing games, the Warriors had a very poor record and got in a position to draft Chris Webber. And they gave up Penny Hardaway in three number one picks, which scout Eddie Gregory was like, don't give away number one no. picks. But Don Nelson did that. Then they won 50 games, and I thought, oh, this is what you do. You win 50, and you make the playoffs or whatever. And then Weber and Don Nelson didn't get along, and so then Weber was traded for Gugliotta and three picks, and then Gugliotta for Daniel Marshall, and you know, and there, that began the treadmill. Um, you also had your best player assault your head coach in Sprewell Carlissimo. Yeah, um, so you were, you were around for that. That doesn't happen very often yes. you know, in the NBA. Yes. And, that, and that season started 1-15. Um, you had the year 2000 where the Warriors went three out of five in the victory column to the midpoint. So they got to game 41. They just won three out of five. Then went two and 39 to finish the season. Jeez. Now, think of two and 39 to finish the season. That That is as bad a struggle as a franchise or any team in any sport's ever going to have. The Warriors are five and 20 right now, right? Yeah. Or five and 21. Five and 21. Which is pretty bad but but, but the two, two and 39 but the two and 39 didn't feature 10 single digit losses you know what i'm right, saying like right. it was getting your head kicked in over and over and over and over and also too i think for all fan bases and we see this now with the giants and their cycle up and then down you see with the niners the dip and now this incredible niner season and you see with the warriors missing the playoffs 13 out of 14 years and then having the greatest run you know right. maybe ever in basketball history Fans have to have hope. 
Yeah. And I think many years ago with the Warriors, there was never, you know, maybe it'll be Antoine or maybe it'll be Larry Hughes or, you know, maybe it'll be Monte Ellis. But there wasn't enough hope. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steve Kerr, Bob Myers, Joe Lacob, Chase Center, all of Dub Lottery leadership. pick. Lottery <laughs> pick. $17 million trade exception. Mid-level yeah. free agent. The, the hope isn't just, oh, I hope. There's reality. There, you're playing a, you know, with a deck of cards. You've got a lot of cards in your hand to, to play the next hand at the poker table. So I think that mitigates the, oh, wow, what a rough year this has been. The other thing, too, and you see it, Connor, is Kai Bowman's a great kid. Damian Lee's a great kid. The Omari Spellman story is amazing. Marquise Chris, I, I, I think this is his rookie year. I mean, yeah. he's 22 years old. and People forget that. He's with only pop, 22. You know, the, the Eric Paschal was is the 41st pick, and yes. he's one of the, the leading rookie of the year contenders. The guys around are so much fun and have such great chemistry and have such good personality that you don't get the sense of, wow, they're really struggling. I have been around veteran teams where guys were, you know, mailing it in is too strong a word, but the grind of the NBA and the years of the NBA had worn on them. Right. That is not the case for this group. It's so fresh. And then, you you know, you see Glenn Robinson, who's so phenomenal a person off the court yeah. and really getting his first big opportunity as a player at age 25 and, and kind of making the most of it. So, to me... I think there's two things. If there were no hope, you'd be miserable. There's right. tons of hope and a lot of good look at the future. If the people you traveled and were around all the time and covering and broadcasting were miserable, that would get you down. But they're not. And so every team bus and breakfast and plane flight and whatever is a chance to interact with somebody that has a real fresh outlook. And, and everybody empowers each other to like, hey, these are currently tough times. But, man, the, you know, the other end of the rainbow is going to be a lot different. The other thing that I've been amazed with is how engaged the coaching staff is. All the player development, all the you see more players individually with coaches with laptops, video scouting. Here's something you did well, here's areas to improve on. Hey, you got to work on your left hand. Let's stay after practice and do that. Wait a minute, you want to develop your three-point shot? We broke down the video of all your threes. Right. And here's something you're doing at your release point we need to work on. That is impressive to me that you don't have guys going, well, the record is what it is, and, you know, let, let's hit the golf course. Everybody's grinding and digging in to be better down the road. That is amazing, and that will pay off down the road. When, when the team is good again next year, um, you will have all this work you will see in the chemistry and the dividends and the individual work that guys have done and coaches have done, and, and they will be happy for it, and they will have earned it. I've actually been really impressed with the job Steve has done this season, which might sound crazy because they do have the worst record in the NBA, but this is a guy who had, has had one losing season his entire professional life. Um, I think one of his early years with, with Cleveland, and he's in the ultimate embodiment of winning, and yet he's handled this like a true pro, and I think his messaging with the young guys has been Phenomenal, And I, there have been a lot of times where I'll talk to someone like a Glenn Robinson or a Damian Lee or, you know, one of these guys who's just trying to make it in the league. And they will go out of their way just to gush about how much it means to them to have someone like Steve who's kind of been in their shoes at times in his career and can relate to them on a really personal level and truly believes in them. And these are a lot of guys who maybe haven't had anyone in the league believe in them. And, and you're seeing what that kind of personal empowerment 
can do for someone like Lee or or uh, Jacob Evans or Glenn Robinson because you know a couple of those guys were almost out of the league not that long ago and here they are at least proving that they can be legitimate rotation guys for a good team I I, I think Glenn Robinson to me he's he's starting this year but he could be a really nice eighth man on a championship caliber team like to me he's proving that he can do that I, I think you assessed it perfectly and you know the other issue is because Steve was initially a role player then he was a rotation player and then he was a championship player with the the Bulls and the Spurs and a final four team with Arizona is he coaches from your stars to your 15th 16th guy there's not a lot of coaches that do that a lot of lot, lot of coaches in very short term. I better get along with the stars right. and the guys that don't play. They're you know window dressing. For Steve, he did, never wants the end of the roster not to feel included and not to feel empowered and not feel part of things. And so that that's a real. It's a good observation on your part, but it's a real genius to why he is so good. And he knows, hey, the resurrection of Javale McGee, the embracing of Mo Spates. You actually had Leandro Barbosa trying to play defense. Yeah. You know that that even yeah. even even you know, and you had your your Iguodala and Sean Livingston and David West, the ultimate pros, and that's right. a huge part of the Warriors' success. But it was also Quinn Cook. I mean, it was also Alfonso McKinney. The little, you know, contributions by everybody really really matter in a team success. What's one thing that's interesting is you, you named a lot of good names there of role guys, guys who they kind of got off the the scrap heap. Another name would be Ian Clark. Sure. Um guys who were kind of reclamation projects who they brought in and got value from and if you look at their careers after they left Golden State, they struggled. Uh, a lot of those guys struggled to stick in the league after they go they left Golden State. I don't think it that says that they weren't NBA caliber players. I think it was more maybe they just didn't find the right situations and and steve is really good about making guys fit in the ethos and the system that the warriors are fostering regardless of what that player's strengths are or what they bring to the table well the other thing too is that you know this is a a star driven league and the other players satellite around the stars so if you look at steph and clay not being there and they're you know draymond had the heel and and they're watching his his minutes and mileage a little bit that if you're a reasonably good player, you are better given the stars that you satellite around. Right. And so, you know, you look at the Warriors, their dearth of perimeter shooting right now. Well, Steph and Clay are the two best perimeter shooters in the history of the sport. Yeah. That will make Willie Cauley-Stein rolling to the basket right. even more wide open, or Eric Paschal doesn't feel like, i got to score 18 and, you know, isolate and give me the <laughs> ball to try to win a game. If you had Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, it looks different. And that's the, the case everywhere. Take Middleton and Antetokounmpo off Milwaukee. Take McCollum and Lillard off Portland. You know, LeBron, Anthony Davis off the Lakers. Those teams would all, yeah. you know, they would struggle. That's just the reality. There's only five guys on the court. So you have two choices. Do You put your head in your hands and say, our two best players are not playing. All is lost and, you know, no one's going to work and we're going to be miserable. Or do you say, yeah, this is a huge challenge, but how do we make everybody else better for when they return, we're ready to hit the ground running? And I think that's the approach the Warriors have taken. It's been great. Now, you do need to win games every once in a while to affirm that positivity. That's why 
you know, winning at Memphis, winning in the last game of the road trip in Chicago and winning it in the fourth quarter. These are all great things. It also it makes the Memphis game or the Knicks game sting. Mm-hmm. Not that you're better. The, the Knicks have more players that have NBA right. resumes, and Memphis, healthy-wise, has you know more talent just on the health standpoint. But you, you need to win some of those games so it's not some long, multi-week where you haven't felt just the taste of of winning to reward some of the work that you're putting in. And, you know, the schedule's going to get a lot more difficult. That's the problem when your Utah's in They have Houston's the hardest like, schedule remaining in correct, the entire NBA. Correct. And so the wins and losses just on the reality of who you're seeing and the teams that you're playing, um, that is going to really <laughs> – that's going to challenge. They haven't, seen, they haven't seen Milwaukee yet. They still have, I think, three games left against – uh, the Lakers, they still have to face the Celtics. I mean, yeah. that's kind of a sobering it is. reality. It, it, it is. And so, you know, it, it will be it will be a long season in terms of wins and losses. I don't think anybody isn't aware of that. But there will be moments and there will be glimpses of things in the future. And, you know, I think you also hit on something that it's not an obvious story to fans, but how did the Warriors find Marquise Chris? How did they identify and trade for Spellman? How did they get Willie Cauley Stein on a you know very low money deal? How did they evaluate and sign Glenn Robinson? How did they find Kai Bowman? How did they get yeah. Eric Pascal with the forty first? They have pick? a phenomenal scouting. Department. I mean, that really out of all the around the edges evaluations, those have all been pretty solid. Yeah, you know, and and now the challenge will be if you're looking at a lottery pick, you can't miss. You know, really, if you look at why the Warriors were stuck in a rough area, Ike Diagu, Patrick O'Brien, you know, you had top 10 picks that you didn't make the most out of. Um, that, when you're, when you hit the bottom, you have, you have to do well. And that's where Steph at 7 and Clay at 11 and Draymond at 35, those were home runs. Those are, right. those are three potential Hall of Fame players that weren't the number one or two picks. They were 7, 11, and 35. When you pick in the, the top five, top eight, whatever, you have to get a cornerstone player. Right. But, you know, or, or trade and turn it into a right. cornerstone player. And the way and methodology of the Warriors' evaluation of talent on all of these ancillary guys this year gives you good hope that they will come up with a quality pick, you know, moving into the summer. They haven't drafted better than number 28 since 2012 right. when they took Harrison Barnes number seven overall. And – this isn't a phenomenal kickstart in a lot of ways because it's so hard to rebuild on the fly when you're drafting that late. Now, obviously, it looks like Eric Pascal was an absolute coup. But if you're talking about the next face of the franchise, someone that you can groom to take over for Steph when he eventually retires and, and Clay and Draymond go deeper into their 30s, that's going to be hard unless you're drafting in the lottery. And so this is a phenomenal opportunity, I think, for the Warriors. And the only example that I can think is comparable is that 96-97 Spurs team when right. David Robinson got injured their season got completely derailed Greg, Greg Popovich came down from the front office they had the worst record in the league got Tim Duncan and we know that we know what happened from there uh to me this is actually there's so many positives with the way things have gone guys are getting rest um obviously Draymond's sitting tonight which they had the luxury to do because these games from a wins and losses standpoint, don't really matter. And I think it actually is just going to really well position them better than they ever could have hoped long-term. 
Well, I think I'm going to use, an, I do the Olympics a lot, so I'm going to use an Olympic analogy. If you and I are 50-meter swimmers and we race Michael Phelps, he is going to beat us because he happens to be better than us. But if we train for four years and come up with our personal best at that Olympic Games, we have nothing to worry about or be sad about or be ashamed about. We did the absolute best we could do. So when you see the Warriors lose by six to Boston or last time here in Utah, lose by four to Utah, or have these games where they're in it, that's their swimming against Michael Phelps. Right. Okay? You, yeah. Connor and Fitz are not beating Michael <laughs> no. Phelps in the pool. No, no. But we might swim faster than we ever have in our lives. And yeah. so success is measured by where you are versus where you could be. And you could be getting blown out by 40 every single night and not showing up. That has not been the case of, of this year's Warriors thus far. And that's where you'll have a Charlotte game on the road. You're like, wow, or an Atlanta game. You're thinking – that's not these Warriors. And then they will bounce back with a right. Chicago game. So now you have, you know, this Memphis Knicks. In the second half of the Knicks, you felt great. But these two games, and you know, so now what does Utah and Sacramento and Portland, what do these games look like? Where can – give me those Michael Phelps efforts. Give me the ones where right. maybe you don't win, but, man, you're, you're, you're swimming as hard as you can and doing the best that you can. And I think that's more of the evaluation – than the ultimate kind of win-loss record. We'll have more of my conversation with Bob Fitzgerald right after the break. What's What's been your favorite individual story this season? Obviously, this season's largely about player development, getting the young guys groomed, and, and having these guys prove that they belong in the NBA. There's been a lot of good stories, Kai Bowman, Eric Paschal. What's been your favorite one so far, just from a human perspective? Well, I, I'm going to... I'll I'll stay away from the Pascal Bowman ones. You know I love both those kids and I love their stories. But I'm I'm a Marquise Chris guy. Okay. Okay. Marquise Chris is 22 years old. He's actually younger than Eric Pascal. Yeah. Marquise Chris in Phoenix and Cleveland, and no disrespect to those organizations, I don't think he got a lot out of those years in the league. No. To me, this is his rookie year. This is a Sacramento kid who came in as a training camp invite and played so well that he made the team. And they I, waved I, a guy who was helpful in the finals. Yeah, I, you know? I, I think so. Mar, I think Marquise doesn't even know how good he can be. This is a six ten kid who has a beautiful shooting stroke all the way out to the three point line, even with forty inch <laughs> vertical. Who's never also really been a center. He's always been kind of a hybrid right. power forward. If you had Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, insert whatever small forward you would like. I think Marquise Chris could be your starting center. I think he's that good. Wow. And the Knicks game gave you a 10, 12-minute look at when that guy plays really hard, offensively, defensively, there's an energy level and athletic ability that has been untapped. So give Ron Adams and Jaron Collins and Steve Kerr and those guys time with Marquise Chris to mold that clay. The local Sacramento angle thing, the chance that this is the first team that's embraced him and coached him and and I just I'm pulling for that kid. Yeah. Like I, I that's that's kind of my guy that I'm yeah. focused on. And I I just I don't think even he knows how good he could be. And and bigs normally take longer to develop. Right. But twenty two is still so yeah. young. I mean he could be coming out of college right now. Yeah. And so I, I just I I'm keeping an eye on Marquise Chris all the time. And and also, as you've seen kind of off the court with him, 
He's a kid. He's he is yeah. a he's he's polite and nice and fun and goofy and funny and I, I just there I just like everything about Marquis. A lot Chris. a lot of times in this league, for whatever reason, you can get a reputation, fair or unfair, and it just sticks with you. And I think that's what happened with him. I think he was in a difficult situation in Phoenix and he was a nineteen year old kid and he might have talked back a few times to coaches and, and done things a lot of nineteen year olds would do in that situation. And he got this stigma attached to him that really hurt his stock in free agency and was a big reason why he had to settle for a training camp invite right. with the Warriors. And I and I, I feel for him because I think anyone can relate to that where he didn't, you know, he didn't rob, rob a store. He didn't, you know, do anything illegal. He, he just was immature and he was in a tough situation. And, and it's he's finally in a position now where he's able to learn on the fly and be around people who believe in him and support him. And you've really seen him. I think he's developed more in season than I've seen anyone. He, he really struggled at the start of the year and now he's really starting to, to come along. And I've been impressed that he's, he can really play that center spot. I, I thought he was a four, but I actually like him in the warrior system more at the five. And one thing that we need to, that I want to see from him is he was so good in preseason and like the dribble handoffs with Steph and he really played well off Steph and he's a phenomenal passer and with the spacing Steph and eventually Clay will provide, I think that'll make him even better. And so we haven't really seen that because only had a three game sample size with Steph. And I think when, if and when Steph comes back in March or, or whenever, um, he's going to be even better. So um, there's obviously been chatter that, you know, do the Warriors waive him? Because obviously they want to find a spot for Kai and he's the only non-guaranteed contract. I can tell you right now, and I know you know you talk to people too, there's no way they're waving Marcus <laughs> Chris. He's going to be on the roster. They're going to figure something else out to try to find that spot for Kai. Maybe they trade Alec Burks, who's been super helpful as a bench scorer, but given where he's at in his career might help a contender a playoff contender right now. So that to me would probably make the most sense, but Marcus Chris is going nowhere. Yeah. I, I, you just summed it up perfectly. I mean, to me, 22 year old bigs are not things you discount or overlook on minimum and, contracts. And, and, and I think also too your assessment of defensively, even where he should be, where his positioning weak side help rotating. These were all very foreign concepts to him. And so his growth in that area as the season has progressed, has gotten much, much better. And it also, because he's played very well, now Willie Cauley-Stein is starting to play well the last couple games too. And that's where the competitiveness of, wait a minute, there's more bodies now. Yeah. And Steve can't play everybody, and so now there's minutes. you got to prove yourself in practices and in games. And so there's all kinds of opportunity for all these young guys uh, to make the most of it, and, and they're going to fail sometimes, and, and they're going to succeed sometimes, and they're going to incrementally improve, and it's just a big Petri dish of how the whole season's going to go. Yeah, and one thing I got, the, I had Tim Roy on a while ago, and, and I, one thing I asked What him, would he know about the Warriors? Come on. <laughs> I mean, he's only been around almost as long as you. <laughs> that's, um, that's my guy. Uh, I, I, and I asked him this, and I'm curious your answer, because you've obviously been around even longer. Um, who's your favorite Warrior, all-time warrior to cover and I totally understand if your answer is someone like Steph or Clay but I'm also curious maybe the role guys or, or the guys that Warriors fans aren't as familiar with guys that you really enjoyed on a personal level and just being around um well, I'm gonna go 
two in one area and then a reason for a third. I, I loved Monte Ellis and Jason Richardson, and not for the reasons people would think. They were tough. I value toughness. Jason Richardson would sprain an ankle that would keep guys today out for three weeks in the NBA, and he would tape it up and play the next day. Like, Jay Rich. Sounds like another guy from Saginaw. Yeah, Jay Rich (laughs) wanted to play basketball. Yeah. And also, he got better and better. Oh, he's a dunker. He's an athlete. Became a really good three-point shooter. He was a big part of the We Believe team. Jason Richardson evolved into a great off guard. I just I love everything about him, but the toughness is is what mattered. Monte Ellis, I just said I will always love because he was the one guy that would die on his shield for the Warriors. Wait a minute, Monte's been spilled on some drive, and you know looks like he's been in a car accident. He would play the next day. Yeah. He only weighed 165 pounds, and they would bounce him around like a pinata. He got the least love of any free throw. I mean, if if Monte Ellis got James Harden's whistle, he would shot 30 free throws a game. He was fouled all the time, right. and yet he would drive relentlessly like a tailback into traffic over and over and over and still play with that same motor and off the court still have that kind of same smile. I just – I love Monte Ellis. I love Jason. I don't. Richardson. I think he gets a bad rap. Nah, no warrior. Real warrior yeah. fans know Monte and love Monte. Even Steph loves Monte. And, and Steph and Monte like went to each other's weddings and yeah. paid for the bachelor party and stuff. Like there, <laughs> people don't even know the level of friendship there. There's a reason in the final game at Oracle, Steph Curry wore Monte Ellis' cool. jersey. Well, there's a big reason for that. So Monte's one of my guys, but the third one is Gilbert Arenas. Okay, okay, because. To see, and, I, and there's many beyond R-rated stories I can't share, <laughs> but Gilbert Arenas... No guns on uh, it, team locker rooms. Gil, Gilbert Arenas had Eric Musselman talk about, hey, my point guard's got to pass more. And so the next game against Atlanta, he didn't shoot the ball for three quarters and then decided in the fourth quarter to shoot and the Warriors would win. I mean, Gilbert yeah. was so mercurial, but I'll always think of uh, a shoot-around and then a practice in Chicago at the Berto Athletic Center where everybody went outside and it was snowing and all coaches, players, broadcasters, everybody all got into a snowball fight. And for some reason, as everybody's throwing snowballs at each other, everyone all decided to turn on Gilbert Arenas at one time (laughs) and started throwing snowballs at him. So after that, we got on a bus to Milwaukee. That time we would bus occasionally from Chicago to Milwaukee on off days. And Gilbert brought snowballs onto the bus and started throwing snowballs at people on the bus. Wow. And and it's just, he was a kid. Yeah. He was, he was he was a kid. He played hard. He had incredible talent. But he just made you smile with some of his antics because, yeah. you know, and, you know, to me, I just, I like players like that. So, yeah. you know, for my, Steph's the default because, yeah. you know, I've played golf with him, right. been involved with him socially, really care about him as a person. Um, and I love Clay to death and Draymond too. But to me, if you're you know a little off the the grid, give me Arenas and and Monte and Jay Rich. Those would be those would be my guys. Okay, those aren't the the names I would have guessed. But you know, Jay Rich is the, is the same name that Tim Roy said. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think and, and Draymond obviously loves him, fellow right. Saginaw guy. So I, I kind of wish I'd covered him. He seems like a, a really cool. 
Dude. Well, what you have within a team concept is when the chips are down or the odds are long, who's still <laughs> going to be in there swinging with me? And that's, you know, Jason and Monte are those those type of guys. And Draymond is the ultimate that type <laughs> yeah, of guy, yeah, you know. Yeah. So, and, But if I had to pick someone, you know, in an altercation, I'm always taking David West six days a week <laughs> and twice on Sunday. Nobody's messing with David yes. West ever. That's that's he, he gave me a headlock after he won his first championship and took a big selfie and everything. And I don't know that I have my neck is fully recovered from that because David West is just – one of those guys that uh, there there are a lot of fake tough guys in the world. He's a legitimately intellectually brilliant person. One of the who, smartest guys I've ever met. And absolute legit toughness, unquestioned. So that's uh, David would be one of my guys if I'm if I if I ever need somebody. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my guy. Yeah, and, and Eric Pascal is 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 becoming that guy. He's Eric, he's the only guy I've seen since David who's as yoked as 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 uh david was eric pascal too i think warrior fans are really going to come to appreciate because you've been around him and you wrote a brilliant piece on on the thomas moore school you know omari spellman is a very intellectually deep person eric pascal is the same way this this guy is not 23 in terms of his worldliness yeah and his life view of everything he's very perceptive and he conducts himself like he's been in the league six or seven years, and that is so rare for a first-year player. You're, you're obviously. I think I respect. I think you're a really good judge of talent, and uh, you have a good eye for that stuff. Did you see this coming at all with with Pascal? Well, I, I'll be be honest. I'm going to be directly <laughs> honest. Um, and the Warriors scouting people know this. I wanted the Warriors to take Eric Pascal with their first-round pick at 28. Yeah. Um, I, I'm just a believer in this, and I, I think Draymond <coughs> is a, is a good example. Um, as is Grant Hill and Tim Duncan and others. What is wrong with a three- or four-year college player who played at a big-time program and had big-time success? You can find John Morant at Murray State, and that's fine. You can find Steph Curry at Davidson. That's fine, too. But to me, when you're at Duke or Villanova or Kentucky or UCLA or whatever, you're in a large city or media market with tremendous pressure. You've played tons of big games you're a grown person at 23 you've developed physically and you know the work ethic it takes to get better and I just think Eric Paschal was never about I've got to score 25 and shoot all the time he was a better perimeter shooter than you thought he was a better rebounder than you thought he was an elite defender he was a tough kid he played and won multiple years like I love that kind of kid. So right. when to get him at forty one, it to get Draymond Green at yeah. thirty five, like I just think those kids are discounted so often. Look at Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah. This is another guy, you know, thirty six pick. Oh, what did he do? He played four years of Virginia. Like yeah. you know, to me, the scouts miss that. They always want the you know, find me Giannis and Tedekupo yeah. and I get it. But you know, you're gonna get these guys, you know, he's twenty two, he's too old. What are you talking about? Twenty two to thirty is when right. that guy's going to play for right, you. Right. So, you know. It's an interesting case study on just the state of the draft and player evaluation. It, it, there's so much more stock put in that 19-year-old guy who maybe wasn't even good in the one year he spent in college. Right. And how many of those guys actually do anything in the league? Like the Josh Selby's of the world, right. the, you know, the the Ben McElmore's guys who – well, sorry, not Ben McElmore. I was thinking of another Kansas guy. I'm forgetting his name right now. But well, think of – my ultimate one is Jermaine O'Neal. 
Jermaine O'Neal went to college for the Portland Trailblazers. Then he was traded for He was Dale 17 Davis. years old. Yeah, when he was drafted, I mean, yeah. And then he became a, a legitimate star for Indiana. <coughs> but but the point was, Portland paid for his college education. Right. He just, you know, as the four years he would have spent at a good Division One program, he, he was with the Blazers. Then when they traded him, now he was essentially a rookie, and then he became a good player. That's where I think Marquise Chris, you know, to me at 22, this is his rookie year. This is when he'd, he'd be coming out. And so that's Franchises draft these 18-, 19-year-old guys – and then they're not patient with them. It's like if you're right. drafting them, then you need to understand what the situation is and be patient with them, but they can't be but, patient. But it's also there's more than patience. It's you realize this, like Eric Pascoe doesn't have a driver's license, okay? Right. You realize from this, New York, this so. guy's never, you know, not Eric, but a 19-year-old that you've drafted. He's never lived in an apartment, usually probably never lived by himself. He doesn't have a checkbook. He doesn't right. know what right. bill pay is. You know, yeah. I mean, like – is he cooking his own meals at home? Yeah. Does he know how to get the cable installed? Is right. he calling DirecTV? Yeah. Like, these are life things. So now you're famous. Here's millions of dollars. I'm going to put you in a different city. And, oh, by the way, just be gr- a great basketball player while you're playing against David West and grown men. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge ask. One of, one that's of the, a huge one ask of the for best, a teenager. One of the best pieces of sports writing that I've ever read in my entire life was called Growing Pains, and it was the huge piece that Sally Jenkins from the Washington Post did on Kwame Brown's rookie season. Right. And it got into all that. Like, he had no idea how to be a professional or how to be an adult, and it was a complete train wreck. And maybe on a lesser scale, that's still happening all the time in the NBA. Well, and that's where, you know, and Bob Myers can uh, probably, you know, I'd say illuminate more of this. But the Warriors have player programs for Alan Smilagic, for Kai Bowman, you know, for Eric Paschal, for Jordan Poole, to assess how they're living in the Bay Area. I mean, Alan has a tutor to speak English because he's got a language issue in addition to – being 20 years old and being a G League player at 19. Anthony Vereen last year in, yeah. in Santa Cruz literally was his personal. Right. But but so personal. the Warriors are looking at language, where are you living, you know, who are you associating with, who are you hanging around with, and monitor and assist in those areas. You know, help these guys get apartments. You know, um, some guy, you know, they need automobiles and they don't have cars. Or the young so, guys you know, live in the same complex. Correct. You because know, they get yeah. hooked up by the Warriors. Yeah, so I think that the franchises that just draft them and say, hey, okay, go be good, the Warriors realize you have to really assist and help these young guys. The basketball is one thing, but you got to help them off the court just in life so they can be good basketball players. You have to kind of coach and, and care for the, the whole human being on your team. And that's something that's lacking in a lot of franchises right now. And sure. that's one thing that Marcus Chris told me was it's so nice to be in an organization where they're really there for you if, you, if you're looking for an apartment. You know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Like little things like that go a long way for these guys, right. especially when they haven't experienced it elsewhere. And I think that's why these guys are, are excited to be here and excited about – the opportunity and the chance to carve out a long-term niche in this organization. So. Well, if you look at it, you know, Bob was a player agent. So right. he represented players and he saw the pitfalls of younger guys. Mike Dunleavy now was a former player and played 15 years in the league. And then you have Kirk and Kent Lacob. You have Larry Harris. You know, you have Nick Uren. I mean, there there's so many resources the Warriors put towards identifying talent and then developing and embracing who these people are. And the other thing, too, with with Bob, I give him a lot of credit for, is 
the quality character of players. The Warriors don't have a lot of knuckleheads, you know, yeah. and, and that's that's the other part of it is they they evaluate who the person is, and that's why you see Steph and Clay and Draymond and Pascal and people like that, Glenn Robinson, because who you are in addition to your ability level, it matters with the Warriors, and I think they're better served for it. Bob, I really appreciate you taking the time. We ran a little long, but I was just enjoying the conversation so much. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much. And I really respect the work you do. Um, I, I often will rewatch games, and it's always it's always fun to, to hear your calls. Okay, I'd rewatch less games this year if I were you. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I appreciate it. You're the best dressed sports writer, so any, anything you need, I have to honor just the, the dress code on that. As long as I can at least win in that department, I'm good, right? So, um, Anytime, Connor. All right, thanks, Bob. appreciate it. Warriors Off Court is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is the editor-in-chief. If you like this show, we'd love it if you subscribe to it wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've got a minute to give us a quick review, that helps us build our audience so we can keep growing. Follow me on Twitter at con underscore cron and email me at cleturno at sfchronicle.com. Support Warriors Off Court and a lot of great journalism with a subscription to the San Francisco Chronicle. There are print and digital editions. Find out more at sfchronicle.com slash subscribe.